Welcome to Mystical Musings, January 15th, 2012, the year we have been waiting for. In the library of Colorado Heights University, beaming out to you from the highest point in the Mile High City, with Myron McClellan and myself, Lawrence Phillips. Those of us who identify as spiritual but not religious are the fastest growing demographic of the sacred in America today. Thank you for joining us today, creating our community of mystics, people who seek to obtain unity with the deity or the absolute, and who believe in the spiritual apprehension of truths that are beyond the intellect. I am because we are. I am because we are one. I am because we are one celebrating body and spirit. 2012 is finally here, and it gives us the opportunity to step forward as mystics who are willing to participate in making this year a great positive transformation, personally and collectively. So if you would, please, to settle into yourselves as we celebrate and embody spirituality. So finding a way right now to allow yourself to be a little more comfortable, a little less encumbered, a little easier. How's your jaw? Can that soften just a little bit? How's your breathing? Can you let the breathing deepen just a little? So it's 2012, and whether it is in fact the end of time as we know it, or not, it does feel like an auspicious year, as it has since the year 2000 been the year we have been waiting for. So whether it's Armageddon or transformation, whether we are making a list of resolutions or a bucket list, <laughs> what do we most want for 2012? What do I most want for 2012? What, what do you most want for 2012? For those of you who freely free associate, such a question can evoke just letting yourselves be creative in receiving the stimulus, what do you want for 2012? And then watch what comes up. The avatars often seem to have an idea about priorities. Looking at Buddha, who on his deathbed answered his disciples' urgent entreaties for final advice, do your best said the dying Buddha. Do 
your best. Do my best. What, what, what is that? What is my best? What's your best? Isn't good good enough? How about better? Does it need to be best? Buddha said, gives me pause. But he was talking to his monks about salvation and not about business or athletics or art. Though, in the 2,500 years since Buddha, there have emerged some spiritual components to all of these. Buddha was speaking, as speaking spiritually. Do your best spiritually. What does that mean? How do I translate that right now? Not something that's going to happen this afternoon or next week or next year or during this year, but right now. And since he was speaking spiritually, our, Latin, our English word spirit does derive from the Latin word spiritus. So there's something about breathing that's a clue to doing our best in this moment, here and now. To answer these conundrums, we need to look at another of the great avatars, Jesus. What would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? Jesus, of course, would say his great love commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus' great advice is to be and do love. Buddha's is to do your best. Mystic integration would have us do our loving best in 2012. <laughs> but how do we do our loving best right here, right now? From Corinthians, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So here we are contemplating doing our best at loving, just us, our bodies, in our temples, amid our mystic community. What is your loving best right now? Certainly if there were some overt action required where someone hurting or something happening there, we could leap to their aid and have an external standard by which we might judge doing our best. But just sitting, just being. The clue is in breathing. So even if your eyes are open, there's something about breathing. In lieu of an external reference, since the kingdom of heaven is within, the answers are within, there must be something internally that can be referenced in regard to doing our loving best. From an embodied perspective, ascertaining internal markers by which to measure or sense our doing our loving best can be experienced through at least three portals, our breathing, our bodies in relationship to gravity, our sense of alignment, our sense of ease and comfort in the basic position, like sitting, and the quality of our heart. So noticing your breathing right now, I would invite you to go inside since you've seen enough of my hat for a little while <laughs> and just 
just, thank you. <laughs> she said, it's a cute hat. Um, so just opening, setting yourself up for going inside. Your breathing. Is it shallow? Is it full? Where does it begin? What moves when you breathe? Can you be softer to the breathing so that there is no tension in the eyes, forehead, tongue, jaw, fingers, belly? Accenting the exhale just a little bit, extending it just a little bit. No effort, no strain, just a little more full, just slightly. What is your attitude right now? Can you be curious? Are you tired? Is there a quality of feeling that's present and emotion? And remembering about the breath is that there's no one right way to breathe. There are many ways that are right. There are many ways that are wrong. Rumi tells us to meet him in the field beyond right and wrong, lest our internal critic have a field day, even if we are breathing shallowly, without awareness that it is not necessarily wrong, but not right either. How we breathe directly affects how we sense and feel. Doing our loving best is sort of like being a parent, inviting our inner child to open and learn and be curious about the possibilities of becoming more present, of maturing our embodied selves, of doing our loving best, of easily breathing just a little more fully. So, doing our loving best in regard to this present moment orients us toward temple maintenance. Breathing a little more fully, aligning our bodies a little more easily. Unconditionally loving and accepting ourselves exactly as we are, even while we are striving to become better. Aho, namaste.
the silence into which we are drawn by the music is really our home. It gets us more in touch with who we are than any words, any thoughts could possibly describe. We are the silence, we are the stillness. This is where we come from and to where we return. And going to this place of silence and awareness, open awareness, is what undergirds all our prayers, our meditations. We have silence that comes not only in our awareness, but also in our heart. So there's a kind of silent love that comes out of there and the silence in our body, that silence in the body that is profound relaxation. And the more relaxed we can be in our minds, in our hearts, in our body, the more in touch we can be with the divine. The divine speaks to us in silence, not in words speaks to us in silence. When we go to that place, we take ourselves out of the way so that we can receive grace and so that we can offer love, so we can stand in peace. And as we stand in peace with ourselves, that peace communicates. That peace goes into the collective peace goes into the collective and helps a lot of people stay grounded. The very well-known contemporary master, Guru Mai, says, if you can have an experience of your own love, when you have that experience, you're supporting thousands of people. And as we move into 2012 with our tasks, the tasks of the spiritual communities, we want to have available to us that beautiful silence because it will be our love, our silence, our peace, our beauty, our wonder feeding into the collective that will support thousands of others. Much has been said about what is to happen in December of this year by the Mayans, by the Hopis, by the Egyptians, and by many others, actually. I do not presume to know whether any of those prophecies is correct. But what I do know is if that just a small percentage of us participate in bringing about that shift in love and joy, that shift has to happen. And so it's our job this year, 2012, and this is what we're going to be talking about and what we're going to be um, assembling to practice is 
being the changes we want to see happen. Being the changes we want to see happen. It's wonderful to see everyone here today. There's nothing like a spiritual community to open one's heart and one's mind and to ground one down into the present moment and into the body and into an exuberant joy of expectancy. Expectancy, not expectations, but expectancy. And as we participate in bringing that about, the divine will move heaven and earth to make it so. I promise you. <laughs> Namaste. When Myron plays, he plays the moment. It's original. It's in this moment. It's channeling through him, through you, my love, and through all of us. And I have the sense that Myron plays this divine music, but he also plays the spirit. And at the moment that he finished, did you hear the wind? It was just amazing. He finished and then, because there's different winds today and there was a big wind that happened right after he played. And uh, so I feel that you play the spirit and the spirit had just said thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this year of the dragon, 2012, begins on January the 23rd, just after the new moon. In Chinese astrology, the dragon is quite special and very much revered, and is the only non-animal sign of the Chinese zodiac, non-real. In Chinese astrology, the dragon was seen as a powerful, almighty king because it was made up of a tiger, fish, snake, and eagle. The Chinese dragon was not seen as threatening as we tend to see dragons in the West, but rather as a symbol of power. What would you like to empower this year? Atomic scientists through their bulletin, which is actually a board comprised of 18 Nobel laureates, said two years ago that there was reason for planetary optimism, that world leaders might address the truly global threats that we face. The bulletin announced last Tuesday that that trend seen in the national leaders has not continued or has been reversed. And so the atomic scientists have moved their doomsday clock to five minutes before midnight. A combination of Iran, Fukushima, failure to act on the comprehensive test ban treaty, climate change, amongst others, prompted the bulletin to act. There are 340 days remaining until the winter solstice <laughs> on December the 21st. The end of time as we know it. 
or so say the Mayans and the Mayan scholars, amongst others. A German Mayan scholar recently presented the results of his study of stone Mayan tablets found in Mexico four years ago. He says the inscription describes the return of a mysterious Mayan god right around our winter solstice of this year. The scholar says that there is nothing apocalyptic in the date, only that on December the 21st, 2012, the planets and the sun are in an extraordinarily rare alignment with the very center of the Milky Way. Your call. <laughs> that apocalyptic, I don't know, it seems pretty big. <laughs> I don't know apocalypse, but large. The mysterious Mayan god, however, was thought of by the Maya as bringing forth a creation or recreation of the world, possibly during a time of war and conflict. It will be the end of the current Mayan epoch, which has lasted 5,250 years. Each epoch, they say, has had a different energy. The epoch that ends a year from now has been an epoch of exploitation, exclusion, corruption, dominance, competition. According to another Mayan scholar, the winds of human consciousness have been blowing toward duality, toward a love of power. On December 21st, 2012, these winds will change toward unity, toward equality, inclusiveness, integrity, sustainability, and cooperation. The winds will be blowing toward the power of love. The shift network, spearheaded by visionary Barbara Marks Hubbard, is interpreting the Mayan prophecy as a planetary birthing experience with conscious conception occurring this coming spring equinox. These folks are helping to birth a new planetary awareness on December 21st. Check them out, shift network, Google it. They're remarkable. There's lots of audio and some video as well. What a magnificent image to hold from the deepest part of our beings, bringing forth a collective birth as we parent the evolution that will alter the course of history. I know that a number of you can hardly wait to hear this month's incipient evidence. <laughs> I found what I think is a good one to offer to you this month. Incipient evidence for mass positive transformation. On the front page of the New York Times Sunday Review was a most interesting article on January the 1st. An auspicious date and an even more auspicious writing by one Pico Iyer, a renowned journalist and author entitled The Joy of Quiet, trying to escape the constant stream of too much information. Iyer was to speak to a group of advertising people on marketing to the child of tomorrow and upon arriving for his speaking date, found the chief executive of the firm that had invited him, invited him wanting to know not about some next generation stealth ad campaign, but rather about stillness. Iron noted a recent interview with the world famous designer Philippe Stark, saying that what allowed him to stay ahead of the curve was disconnecting from the information culture. No magazines, no TV, no cocktail parties or dinners saying, I live alone mostly in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Mr. Iyer noticed that people could pay $2,300 a night to stay at an exclusive Big Sur, California Inn, 
paying for the privilege of not having a TV in their rooms. <laughs> <laughs> One of the sproutings of expensive black hole resorts, which includes the privilege of not getting online in their own room, Iron notes in barely one generation, we've moved from exulting in the time-saving devices that have so expanded our lives to trying to get away from them, often in order to make more time. The more ways we have to connect, the more many of us seem desperate to unplug. Apparently, there are now internet rescue camps in South Korea and China, <laughs> which try to save kids addicted to the screen. There is software, even, available to all of us now that allows users to disable for up to eight hours the internet connections that had once seemed so emancipating. The average American spends eight and a half hours in front of a screen, often simultaneously in front of a computer, a TV, and a smartphone. What an image. The average American teenager sends or receives 75 texts a day, with one Sacramento girl somehow managing to handle 10,000 texts every 24 hours for a month. The French philosopher Pascal said that all of human beings' problems came from their inability to sit quietly in a room alone. The famous scholar and communications theorist Marshall McLuhan remember the medium is the message, said, when things come at us very fast, naturally we lose touch with ourselves. Iyer cites Thomas Merton as a man who struck a resonance with many. Humans were made for the highest activity, which is, in fact, their rest. We barely have enough time to see how little time we have. Most web pages are visited for under 10 seconds. All we notice is that the distinctions that used to guide and steady us between Sunday and Monday, public and private, here and there, are gone. We have more and more ways to communicate, but less and less to say, partly because we're so busy communicating <laughs> what to do. Iron notes that more and more people are moving into embodied dynamics of some sort, yoga, tai chi, meditation, I would add Feldenkrais to that list, embodied movements of many different sorts. Some people observe internet Sabbaths. Some people even attempt to revive the ancient ritual of sharing meals and conversation. <laughs> <laughs> others are going on long walks. Still others are forgetting their cell phones. Researchers show that many people who spend time in quiet rural settings show greater attentiveness, stronger memory, and generally improved cognition. With their brains becoming calmer and sharper, and even more empathy, as well as deep thought, which depends on processes that are inherently slow. <coughs> the very ones our high-speed lives have little time for. Many of us in Colorado know these things, but it does seem to be news for the Easterners. And so, for this being the lead article in a major section of the Sunday New York Times, and for all its essential wisdom, I present this month's incipient evidence for mass positive transformation, the joy of quiet. <laughs> Shalom, namaste. <laughs>